0: From Selma, Alabama, would you please welcome storyteller Miss Catherine Tucker Wyndham?
1: I can't believe I'm ninety-two, and but I am. And uh, my father said to me, but he says that when you're building your life, the most important things are the four L's. And the first L is listening, and it's a rare thing these days listening, listening to the human voice, listening to one person talking to another person, listening. We have forgotten how to listen, how to sit down and talk and have a good time listening. My dad said, listen. God gave you two ears and one mouth, and he expected you to use them in that proportion. And the next L is learning. You have to learn something different all your life. Don't ever quit learning and laughing is the third L, he said. We've all got to laugh. Laugh at ourselves. Laugh at something every day. The world is a magical, wonderful place, he says. But we need to laugh together. Don't laugh at people, my father said. You laugh with people. And you can never hate anyone you've really laughed with. Laughter binds people together. The most important, L, is loving. Loving. That so God put us here to love each other, to enjoy each other to help each other, to laugh together, to learn together, to listen together, but to love each other. And there's nothing that says I love you more pleasantly and more plainly than storytelling. Everybody here has stories that you need to tell, and now is the time to do it. Tell stories and tell each one with love, ending with, I love you. I love you. Thank you.
2: Thanks to Catherine Tucker Wyndham speaking at the 2010 Alabama Storytelling Festival at 92 years old about the importance of stories, and once again, bringing us together now in this new format. I'm Amy Antonucci, and I welcome you to our September 2020 True Tales Live Zoom show, our first show ever on Zoom. Thanks to those watching and listening, and especially to those who have joined our live online audience. We have missed being with you since COVID shut us down last spring. As you know, the COVID-19 crisis, the shelter in place orders, now social distancing continue to keep us generally apart physically. Just as we're becoming more deeply aware of how connected we actually all are all across the world, and how much we need each other. The True Tales team has done some imagining and experimenting in order to bring us back together while still protecting everyone's health. It is not going to be the same. We promise it will have snags and mistakes and maybe even generate some stories that we'll tell later. But we know that you'll be forgiving as you join us here on this new journey. And we do have some suggestions for this new online format. Since we at True Tales believe that storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, we're going to strive to keep that connection alive. And here's how you can help us. If you do keep your video on, we invite you to practice having Big reactions, physically, to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. You can be moved, you can be shocked. you can be sad, you can be excited, to name a few. And I am happy to lend you a little bit of my Italian side for this. You can also express reactions in the chat box, which we will save and share with the tellers after the show. You're also going to have the chance to ask questions of our tellers after all the stories are done. So keep track of those. You might have like an actual piece of paper here to write on for later. You will also be invited to help us start a new tradition at the end of the show, but we're gonna save that as a surprise until 7.55. So our mission at True Tales Live remains to provide a space for people to share their first person experience stories to reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity, to help us bridge differences, to build understanding and respect for everyone. Our general theme for the fall of 2020 is shelter in stories. We asked ourselves, where do we take shelter when things go wrong? That includes places and structures, but often at heart is really about being with each other. It's in each other that we find shelter, solace, and strength. Our three tellers tonight speak to being in it together. We'll hear from Kamisha Foley, Gail Luchidello, and Tina Charpentier. Pat Spaulding will be our MC, introducing each teller to you. So please join me now in welcoming Pat to the Zoom stage. Woo! Do, here we go. Come on, Pat. Unmute. I'm yay. here.
0: Pat. i
3: All righty. I am happy to introduce Kamisha Foley as our first storyteller. She moved to York, Maine with her husband in 2019. Prior to that, they made their home in Northern Virginia, where she worked and commuted in and around the Washington, DC area. Woohoo! She is the youngest of five siblings, the youngest FIC, AKA Foley, in charge. Storytelling, she says, is most definitely a Foley trait. Kamisha's, Kamisha's childhood was filled with many moves and changing schools that left her with a profound gratitude for her teachers, who consistently helped her out as a kid. She always wanted to be a teacher but her father would hear none of it. No way was he gonna pay tuition for her to pursue that career. There's no money in teaching, he'd say. So she did as he demanded and pursued a business degree. Little did she know how life would one day come back around to that original wish. Let's hear how it all happened. In Kamisha's story,
4: A Delayed Calling. Kamisha! You know, high school is so tough. And I think about teachers and the kids during the pandemic. I mean, how they could connect. And I think that's why I relate to, you know, wanting to always be a teacher ever since I was a small child and the teachers that were in my life that provided such stability for me. And I did want to be a teacher. Maybe it was because my second grade teacher knew that my life was tumultuous, or at least picked up on it. She pulled me aside one day and said, Kamisha, do you want to wear a different outfit or show off a different dress to your classmates? Because I think you've worn this one all week. Or maybe it was my seventh grade teacher, Mr. Duval, at Alice Deal Junior High. He was my FBLA, Future Business Leader of America teacher. He knew that one day in class when I stood up, and ran and started opening the windows and yelling for my classmates to get in the closet that I was mistaking that air raid siren that happens in Washington DC for the tornado sirens of Oklahoma where I had just moved from. He kindly took me out into the hallway, calmed me down and then took me back in the classroom and explained to my classmates why I had been acting so crazy. And that's why I wanted to teach, and I told my father that as I prepared to go off to college, my dad said, absolutely not, Red. You are not going off to college. I'm not paying for you to go to college and not get a job that pays anything. You will go be a business major. And I tried to argue with him, but it didn't work. He said, you will sign this paperwork that says, I will be a business major, and in turn, I will sign your student loans. Not happy about that. But I begrudgingly went off to college as a business major. Whew. The classes I liked, I loved. But the classes I didn't like so much, like calculus and biology, what a nightmare. D's some repeats, but I stretched through it, graduated with my business degree, and did it like everybody else in you know, the late 80s, early 90s. You go out, you go out into retail and you get a job as a retail, the store manager. I was working for some toy company and toy store in Long Island. They didn't even take American Express at Christmas. What a nightmare that was. I didn't last long there. I didn't like it. And I decided to pursue maybe marketing, phone calling people and that didn't go well either because I'm a crappy liar. So that didn't work. And I finally went next door to the temp agency and asked them you know, if they could help me. Long story short, I fell in to this job as an administrative assistant at a law school. It was the best world I had ever fallen into. I got to help people. I got to organize people. I got to see the big picture. It was fantastic, and I loved it. And ever since then, I've been in that field. You know, as time grew on, I really jumped into it, and I love being there. I even pursued some professional associations. I got my certification as an administrative professional. I started writing for some people. Then I got somebody who called me and said, hey, would you like to write something for my book? So I did. And then social media came around and my network got even bigger. And that was just about the time LinkedIn came around and everybody was like trying to connect with one another, except you're not supposed to connect with the people. And this is rarely true at the time you know, people from overseas because they might be trying to scam you. So I deleted all those invites, except for the one that came from London and asked me to come speak at their conference about social media and customer service. When I went, it was fantastic. Saw all these people I met online, but never met face to face. And when I came off the stage, you know, it was such a relief. You know, it's like all this culmination of years of this work that I have been doing. And I love, I love doing it. <sighs> I just thought about it. All the people who were there and there were people standing around milling and ask me some questions and talking. And in the back of the line, there was this woman who came up to me and, and she waited for everybody else to leave. She said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I said, Oh, okay. Um, hi, I'm Kamisha. She said, I know who you are. I've been to talk to you, but you won't accept my invitation on LinkedIn. I'm from Uganda. My name is Florence. Uh-oh. I said, I'm so sorry. And I quickly apologized to her. I was like, I'm so sorry. You know, this is crazy thing that we're kind of taught not to accept foreign you know, invites and emails because people are trying to scam us. And and I'm so sorry. I really apologize. She said, hold up this piece of paper. She goes, I have been trying to reach you. I have your quote on my desk. Excuse me. I have your quote on my desk. And she shows me this quote that I gave to my girlfriend several years prior for her book on administrative assistance. And she says to me, I have it on my desk in Uganda. I work at the Bank of Uganda, and all the assistants know about it. And she holds up a picture of her desk all the way in Uganda. That's a real long way from Washington, DC. I was so humbled. I almost cried. I was like, wow, she says, you helped us, you helped us, you help us learn and you teach us how to be great about our jobs and you're very important. And she's holding this picture the whole time. And it turns out this woman is the international assistant for the entire globe that year. And she's got my words, my words on her desk. What a moment. And I made her goodbyes. I said, I will see you later at the dinner. And the producer was standing next to me. She kind of knows my story. I've known her a long time. And she turned to me. She's like, so, still think you're not a teacher? I thought about it. I said, I guess maybe I am. I guess maybe I am. Thank you.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Kamisha. So those words—they um, were there. Lots of words. Was it? There were a lot of words. Oh, okay, so that's why you didn't tell us what they were. They were—it was like a page of words. It's a whole paragraph. A Whole paragraph of words. All righty then. Maybe you could write them in the in the um, the chat. I want to know what those words are. We'll talk about that later. Thank you. Great story. And next up we have Gail LaDich... (laughs) I've known Gail for so long and I still can't pronounce her last name. That's okay, nobody can spell my last name. It doesn't have a U in it. Spalding. Gail has lived in Elliott, Maine for 25 years and feels incredibly lucky to be happy, healthy, and living on the coast of Maine. What could be better? She has officially retired from a healthcare profession as an occupational therapist. And throughout her career, she occasionally needed to escape the stresses of healthcare like people do now and search for new adventures. She enjoyed the eight year adventure of owning Paradisa, a gift shop in Portsmouth that many of us may remember. And this year, the adventure of working as a census taker. (laughs) Both are fodder for more stories, I'm sure. But the adventure Gail will describe to us tonight took place many years ago in May of 1991 when she set out on a road trip from New Hampshire to Moose, Wyoming to work as a park ranger in the Grand Teton National Park. That's a fine ambition. During that five-day trip, a series of bizarre events showed her a lot of reasons to title her story, Someone is Watching Over Me. Yes. All right, Gil. Take it away. Let's hear your story.
5: All right. Well, periodically throughout my life, I felt that somebody has been watching over me. And quite literally as a child, I did. I have two older brothers. And even though they would torment me and tease me unbelievably, in the end, I always knew that they were there to watch out for me and protect me. Not only am I the youngest in my immediate family, but in my extended family of cousins, I'm also the youngest. So whenever we went someplace, there was always somebody watching out for me, making sure I didn't get in trouble, making sure I knew where I was and that I didn't get lost. As a result, I have the absolute worst sense of direction. I could get lost in a paper bag. So, um, even now, with the help of GPS, if I'm going someplace new, I still give myself 15 to 30 minutes of lost time, just to make sure I'll find my way. So, back in 1991, um, when I got my job as a park ranger in Grand Teton National Park, you know, with the gray-green uniform and the fabulous hat, I was very excited about Um, working as a park ranger again, because I had worked the previous summer in Acadia National Park. But I was a bit terrified of driving across country by myself, um, given my history of getting lost. But I did my homework. Well, I consulted with AAA maps and tour books and figured out that it would probably take me five days to drive from Portsmouth, New Hampshire to Moose, Wyoming. So I loaded up my little Toyota Corolla um, with everything I thought I needed to survive five months in a park service trailer. There wasn't an inch to spare in the back seat or the trunk of my car, and maybe only two inches in the front seat. The last thing that went on my car was my trusty old bike rack and my 1974 Raleigh bike. So, ooh. Alrighty, the first day I take off and I get through East Coast traffic and it wasn't that bad. I mean, there weren't any, weren't any major mishaps. So I found myself to the cheap hotel, um, went to bed early, got up at 6 a.m. and was headed out for day two. I knew that if I headed west, I couldn't get into too much trouble. So day two brought me to um, through Ohio. And as I'm driving through Ohio, I end up driving alongside a big tractor trailer. We traveled together, oh, for a couple hours, I don't know how many miles, but a couple hours. And every time we'd go up a hill, I would pass him. And then every time we went down the hill, he would pass me. So we traveled this way for a couple of hours, acknowledging our little game and having fun with it. Um, and then I'm going up a hill and he sticks out his hand out the window indicating that I should not pass him. So I thought, I'm gonna to listen to this guy. I'm not gonna pass him. And sure enough, a couple of minutes down the road, there was state police pulling over people for speeding. And I thought, how nice of this guy to watch out for me. So another night in a cheap motel, I get up at six o'clock in the morning and take off. Now, if you've ever driven in the middle of the country, you realize that these long straight flat roads can get a little bit boring and one tends to go a little bit fast. So I'm just outside Des Moines, Iowa, when for some reason I look out my rearview mirror and notice my bike and my bike rack sliding off the back of my car. The panic and fear that set in at that moment was unbelievable. But I slowed down to a crawl and lucky for me, I was right at an exit. So I go down the exit and right at the end of the exit is the Texaco station. I pull into the Texaco station, get out of the car, my heart's racing, Uh, uh, I was in a panic. I look at my bike rack and bike and see that my trusty old bike rack was now rusty and it wasn't trusty at all. It was beyond repair and I needed a new one. Fortunately for me, the gas station attendant was very helpful. Um, He starts looking up where the closest uh, bike shops are to see if I can get a new bike rack and none of them were nearby and I'm in the middle of Iowa and clearly I could get lost finding them. Um, But I noticed that there was a Kmart within sight of the gas station. So I left my bike at the gas station And I drive down to the Kmart, and unbelievably, that Kmart has one bike rack left. And that one bike rack happened to fit on my little Toyota Corolla. I'm thinking how lucky am I. So I get the bike rack and I walk out to my car and I see this elderly man kind of pacing around my car. Um, And off in the distance there are two policemen. So I go to my car and I start to try and get the bike rack on my car. And then this elderly man starts pacing around me in my car, making very bizarre comments about me and this car from New Hampshire. So I'm really starting to get scared now. And obviously the two policemen could see that because they walked over to me and said, don't worry. um, This is a runaway Alzheimer's patient and we're watching him until his family can come and take care of him. So, you don't have to worry about a thing. Well, seeing how pathetic I looked trying to put my bike rack on the bike, on the car, uh, the two policemen offered to help me and they put the bike rack on for me. Um, At this point, I was at least two hours behind my schedule. I had a goal of reaching Lincoln, Nebraska that night, and I knew that I was so stressed Um, that there was no way I could continue driving much further. So I drove a little bit further and decided I can't do this anymore. I found another cheap motel. I needed a shower. I needed some food and I needed to calm myself down. So I check in the hotel, take the shower, get dressed, sit on the bed and turn on the TV where the local news is announcing that a severe tornado had just ripped through Lincoln, Nebraska. Now that tornado rips through Lincoln, Nebraska at the same time that I was originally scheduled to arrive in Lincoln. And I thought, oh, how incredibly lucky I was that I just happened to look out my rear view mirror to see my bike falling off and how incredibly lucky I was that there was an exit right there with the Texaco station and a helpful attendant. And how incredibly lucky I was that that Kmart had one bike rack left and it fit my car. And how unbelievably incredibly lucky I was that this Alzheimer patient took a fascination with me and my car so that eventually the two policemen watching them would help me out and put the bike rack on my car. Because all of this happened, I never made it to my destination of Lincoln, Nebraska, where that terrible tornado hit. Looking back at this now, I realized that clearly I wasn't just lucky, but someone, something, a heavenly body, all of my dead relatives, karma, the universe itself was watching over me those five days traveling across country. Just as it has been my entire life. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Gail. That's a, a heartening story. One of the things I really liked about listening to that story is everything that happened was so tangible. <laughs> I've noticed lately that doing trying to get help online, frankly, you know, trying to get things fixed, you've got to get fill out your name and your address and your you know your phone number and your and it's just and then people call you from Missouri or or Alaska to get a local connection in Massachusetts to get some help in Portsmouth and it's just like no and you found people and things all along the way tangible things for help. That makes me feel good. <laughs> Thank you. Next up our uh, we have the story by Tina Charpentier, who grew up in Kittery Point and has lived in the Seacoast area most of her life. She currently lives in Dover with her wife, Ellen. Tina joined the New Hampshire Air National Guards Communication Unit at Pease in 1982 and has told many rollicking tales about her 21-year career in the military. But tonight's story is from a more recent experience. Tina and Ellen traveled to North Carolina this past winter to tend to Ellen's sister, Jean, until Jean unfortunately died of cancer this past January. Then COVID hit, which made straightening out Jean's affairs more complicated. Tina had to make a trip to North Carolina in June in the midst of the pandemic to drive Jean's vehicle back to New Hampshire. As nervous as she was to take the risks required she claims that, well, not unlike Gail in our last story, she had awesome help along the way. The title of Tina's story is Risky Business. All right, Tina, come on
6: up. Hear your story. I was in shock standing in the grass of the median of I-40 in Burgard, North Carolina. It was 5.30 a.m. on Sunday. June 8th of this year, and there was such loud ringing in my ears when the emergency vehicles showed up, it was intense. Yeah, see, my sister-in-law, Jean, died in Bolivia, North Carolina in January from the cancer. My wife, Ellen, and I decided we, we'd buy her Subaru Forester from the estate once their other sister, the executor, also Anne, could clear the title for us. It was it was just such a nice vehicle in great shape. It was a great deal with low mileage and had a lot of extras, like even heated seats. <sighs> We'd already driven to North Carolina two times earlier this year, but then came the lockdowns for the coronavirus. So we couldn't go back and get the car until things got better. Well, here we are. And the household and the closing was June 17th. Well, the stay-at-home orders had mostly been lifted by then, so we decided we had to take the risk and go get it. I was really nervous about it. I mean, I'd barely been out of our yard since March, you know. In the good old days when we'd drive down to visit Jean, it's about a 15-hour trip. We'd try to get the bulk of it behind us, you know, on the first day and then stop somewhere and pass D.C., Virginia or something, get a bite and a beer and stay over and then finish the trip in the morning. And Jean would often stay in touch with us along the way to kind of monitor our progress and kid around. And overall, we had a lot of fun on these trips in the past. But now, well, this hasn't been a fun year. And we didn't have a lot of options at the time. I mean, flying was way too risky. And staying somewhere was risky too, you know? Heck, rest stops to pee were risky with this virus. Well, we decided we'd, we'd rent a car one way. So we did that and we left at, oh, dark 30 on Thursday, June 4th. And we drove, 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 stopping only to pee and gas up. We went the Pennsylvania route, too, because of all the protests happening at the time. This way we could avoid like New York City, Philly, Baltimore, D.C., the big ones, you know. It was a long day, but we made it. We returned the rental car the next day. I followed along in the Forester. And once I was in it, I remember why we liked the car so much. Not to mention, I mean, it was Jean's. She'd be pleased we were gonna have it. So I set my phone up to the Bluetooth stuff, you know, and I set up my seat. It had those buttons that you could press where the settings for each driver, you know, so you could just get in it with setup. I mean, I'd never had such a fancy car, this is cool. Well, technically we didn't own this one yet either, but we did have to get it home from North Carolina. So we packed it full up with a bunch of stuff, like all our trips and we cleaned out the fridge and did a bunch of errands. I mean, Ann was coming the next week to meet the moving truck for the big stuff and to finish the sale. It was all very final and it was very sad. This house was beautiful. We all loved it. It's in a cul-de-sac with wonderful neighbors and they took such great care of Jean. And then they transferred that care to all of us. It was amazing. We were always had a nice time when we went there, but we didn't tell them we were coming this time because we just wanted to slip in and out to get that car. Well, we were spotted. I mean, it's called the sack. And So Barbara and Mike come out and they spoke for with us for a bit in the driveway. And we told them I planned to head out at 4.30 in the morning, drive, 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 try to go straight through. It, that's almost still today mike says 4.30. 30 i said i know right but you know we kind of want to go straight through and as much daylight as we can my concern is the animals at that hour but and right then you know pippi comes out another neighbor she's a 82 year old tennis pro from australia amazing lady and then so she, then another neighbor comes out too you know and this is how it goes in the cul-de-sac there and they're all wonderful nice people but we did have to get going. We had a lot to do and we were leaving early. So we said our tearful goodbyes and promised all to stay in touch and all that stuff. And we headed out as planned at 4.30 AM on Sunday. So there's no traffic. We're making great time. You know, I-40 is one of those was 70 mile an hour speed limit. We are doing about 74. And Ellen was driving the first leg. So we're about an hour into it and it was still a little bit dark out. And, then Ellen shouts, Dear! Then the bang and smash and the hood flew out of the windshield, it was busted to pieces and shattered. All of the airbags deployed. There was smoke. I thought we were on fire. Ellen says, I can't see. Me either. I'm just trying to stop the car. I said, Everything was happening so fast, you know, but at the same time, it seems like it was in slow motion, right? When we finally stopped, I tried to dial 911, but see my phone wouldn't dial. It was still hooked through the boot tooth, but I so Ellen rolled out of her door and found that we were partially in the median and in the passing lane on I-40. Uh, we didn't think we were hurt. Uh she was able to call nine one one at that point. We were at mile 402, there just happened to be a mile sign there. Um, I couldn't hear very well at all with the ring and the airbag explosions were so intense and it, apparently they caused all the smoke too and the car was wrecked. There was no sign of the deer, by the way, but there was fur where the headlight and fender used to be in the car. So yeah, it's Sunday in Burgo, North Carolina. Now what? So after nine one one, she was able to call AAA. They said it'd be about an hour and due to COVID, you can't ride with the driver. I was pretty shaken up and the reality of all this was like starting to sink along with being eaten by these huge mosquitoes. (sighs) So the emergency people came and they briefly checked us out and they all left except for a highway patrolman. Well, one of them wore a mask, you know, I always was somewhere in the car, but you know, we'd been so careful and now all of this exposure and we still need a ride too. It was only 6.15 AM, but I called Jean's neighbor, Barbara and Mike, right? But I left a voicemail. After about 10 minutes of waiting, it seemed like forever, I called Pippi. Now she's 82, but she answered and said she'd come right out to get us. And she arrived about eight o'clock, just about the same time as a tow truck but do you know that darn highway patrolman left us somewhere in there? And and uh, I mean, we're on I-40 in the passing lane without so much as a cone or a flare. Talk about risks, jeez. So I quickly loaded a few things into Pippi's car, you know, like our overnight bags, our cooler, a bag of jeans, wine, <laughs> the important stuff, you know. And we arrived back at the house in Bolivia and Pippi offered us the use of her car, but. Neither one of us wanted to drive anywhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> Barbara and Mike came right over. They felt so bad they didn't get the call to help. And you just said you were worried about the animals, Mike says. I know. And at that point, I just started to cry. It had been a long day, right? It was only 9.30. <laughs> well, I got a text a little while later from Barbara. It says, There's a cooler outside your door. It had coffee, some milk. Bailey's and a loaf of banana bread. Wow, way to go. So (laughs) we sat around and we assessed our situation. We contacted folks back home. Uh, Ellen was pretty battered. We had burns from the airbags and seatbelt wounds and stuff. But you know, all things considered, we were very fortunate to be as okay as we were. We couldn't do anything about any of this because it was still Sunday and nothing's open around there on Sundays, which is good looking back at it because we were so exhausted and pretty much in shock, right? But those neighbors were so amazing. They took such good care of us. They fed us, they went and bought us beer. They even had an emergency happy hour in the next door neighbor's driveway. (laughs) They were just the best emergency people anyone could imagine. We ended up renting an SUV and went to the towing company on Tuesday morning to get our stuff out of the Forester. Going through mile 402 again, boy, I'll tell you, on I-40 where the accident happened was extremely stressful. We were real quiet, but right there at mile 402, a rock spit up and hit our windshield, Pink, Like, are you kidding me, really? Seriously? I said, you know, it's probably a deer tooth or something. So when we got to the, to the wrecking company, the car was shrink-wrapped because even the sunroof wouldn't stay on and the, the door wouldn't close and stuff. It was really, really wrecked. And seeing it again like that, I cried again. You know, because of this car, we took risks we would have never taken and nearly got killed. But you know what, also because this car was so great, we were safe and we're alive. Well, we repacked again and we stayed over in Maryland this time, I know more risk and everything, but we felt it was riskier to drive straight through. Miraculously, we made it to New Hampshire and are quite okay with having to stay alone a the lot these days. Thank you. Well, Tina, we sure are
2: glad that you are here to tell us this story. Same with you, Ellen, I see you there. Wow, Uh, what great stories we have heard here for our first online show. So while we're here, let's have a conversation with our tellers, one in which our live audience can ask some questions using chat. Here's what's gonna happen. David, our True Tales interviewer will start us off with some thoughts and a question for each teller. You start putting your questions into the chat right now and I'll sort them out and we will see how many we get to. So David, we welcome you in next. Join me.
0: Hey, David, hey, David. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. What an adventure. Uh, Let me begin with uh, just a few remarks before we get to our questions. Uh, And start by saying that some years ago in his blog post titled Modern Storytelling and the Search for Meaning. The co-founder of the Global Meaning Institute, Dr. Alex Patakos, wrote these words, and I thought they were worth sharing. Dr. Patakos wrote, I've learned over the course of my lifetime that there is an incredible power in storytelling. The stories people tell serve as the container that gives meaning to their lives and holds their world together. Storytelling invests our lives with more meaning and connects us more vitally to others. One of the powers of storytelling, he continues, is that it provides both a lifeline and a storyline. It offers us a bridge to connect events and milestones across generations to provide a living history and mythology Necessary to sustain cultural identity, to stimulate learning and growth, and to enable future planning. Storytelling even has healing powers and can provide pathways to spiritual growth. Imagine what our world would be like if we did not have stories to tell and tales to share with others. Dr. Patakos. Well, I read that and we agree. We use slightly different words to describe our sense of mission, but we certainly agree with his sentiment. And one of the ways we explore the meaning and impact of storytelling, somewhat different from other venues, is through our conversations with tellers, which now take place online through Zoom rather than on PPM TV stage as as we used to do. And thanks to Zoom's chat feature, we can now have input from the audience to our conversations, input from you. So I'll kick off our conversation as Amy mentioned with the question for each of our tellers. And if you have a question, please use the chat function. You'll send it to Amy. She'll collect and sort through them and then address them to our tellers. And as she said, we'll get to as many as we can. So first, Kamisha, <clears throat> Before moving to Maine, uh, you noted in your biography, uh, you were involved in a storytelling group called Story District in Washington, DC. And I was wondering if you'd share with us how you got involved there, what it took to get started there. Was it hard, easy, risky? Uh, Just share with us a little bit, if you will.
4: Sure. Um, You know, uh it was it, it it's morphed several times but what caught my eye it was a there's an express newspaper that they used to give out on the post out of the post for people to read on the on the metro and they had an ad for a storytelling boot camp and um, it it basically talked about it was a saturday afternoon you spent all day learning how to write a story uh, first person, they focus on first person stories and, um, how to whittle it down and, and make it follow a story arc. And then, so I, I signed up for a storytelling boot camp, yeah, but when I went, I was, I was kind of surprised There were probably 20, 25 people there. Um, and they had, uh, they had team leaders for story district that came in, like kind of helped us uh, break into groups and kind of talked us through the whole process of what it's like to write a story and how do you come up with the story. And then you had to practice with somebody in the group. And then they picked names for people to get up and tell their story. And um, I was not one of those first people. The first time I actually did the storytelling boot camp twice because I really wanted to get get comfortable with it. So I, I love my experience there. I like supporting them. Um, I didn't realize it was such a, a vibrant community. I, I knew we had a lot of storytelling in my own family because all of us are really big storytellers. But yeah, it was it was a fantastic it was a fantastic experience. And it, it really helped me focus on what how to make a story travel.
0: Well, it clearly worked because you are a fine storyteller and we're delighted to have you join us on True Tales Live. Uh, Let me turn to you, Gail. Your park ranger story, as well as your occupational therapy work, Owning Paradisa, uh, uh, joining in Contuti, where you and I have sung together, suggest and uh, to These all seem to me to suggest that you have a kind of adventurous personality, that you're willing to engage the world in a variety of different ways. And now tackling storytelling seems like part of your adventurousness. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you became this adventurous spirit.
5: Well, I really don't know, although it, it may have something to do with being the youngest again, because somebody was always telling me what to do. And I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to go do whatever. And I didn't want someone always telling me what to do. Um, I think the other part is that I'm a Gemini, which is twin personalities. And so I get bored pretty quickly. So I I want to try something new, and um, luckily I've been able to do that.
0: But you haven't <clears throat> lacked any uh, courageousness, or there's something that's kept you going. And I'm not putting this well, You seem quite willing to take risks, even when they're challenging to you. Somehow there's well, a, maybe that's the two. Yes,
5: that, that is true. I mean, I, I, I'm I not a worrier, and I won't do anything that truly terrifies me. So <laughs> if I'm just a little bit challenged, I kind of like that. Um, and when I emailed friends and told them that I was going to do this storytelling tonight, it was because during COVID, I felt like it, it was very easy to shrink your life and that I needed to challenge myself again. And so this was a big challenge for me to pull this story together and to do it on Zoom. So I don't know where it comes from, but I always need some new little challenge, nothing huge, nothing <laughs> that will put me over the edge. But um, I don't, I, I don't want to be bored. So I keep looking for new things to do.
0: Well, very nicely done, and we're glad you've joined us on True Tales Live. Thank you for that. Thank and you. Tina, you know that I'm a fan of yours. We're all a fan of your storytelling. Let me just say <laughs> in the, uh, the beginning of this question that I think um, there is a kind of bias in the storytelling, perhaps unintentional, towards stories that are easy or you might say have happy endings. And to me, your story was one that took a lot of courage to tell. And I wonder if you could just dive into that a little bit and share with us uh, what enabled you to tell this particular story, um, which is, in a way, tough to tell. I don't know how else to say that.
2: I think we've lost Tina. Oh, dear. I'm, I'm looking here. I think we, she may have a technical glitch. She certainly meant to be here. So um, she said might... she,
5: she just lost internet just this Yeah. Minute.
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, again, this'll be her next story, right? Uh, I was gonna ask her, um, at what moment did you think to yourself, at least this will make a great story, right? <laughs> it helps some of us through the tough times. Um, so I think we are going to have to wait, see if she comes back, but there is a question here. Do you mind, David, if I?
0: Punch right in who you got a question from. Okay.
2: Or... Well, and I know she found it, but Pat spoke from more than herself when she really wanted Kamisha to read the words that were in the quote. Could you do that, Kamisha? Sure, hmm. sure. So in the context, of course, is
4: in the administrative world, which is my career field. And um, it wrote, be savvy about what you want. Be honest. If you hate being an admin, then get out of the profession. If you love it and want to continue to grow, you have to do the legwork. Job market is too tight for sitting back and hoping what you've done in the past will be enough. Get busy. And it was really focused on, um long-term career admins who really just complain and didn't really want to do anything but you know keep their seat warm and keep their job doing the bare minimum and and it was during a time when people were really looking for work and trying to keep their jobs and so that that was the quote that my friend Julie Perrine actually used it in, in her
0: book and what was her book about
4: what was the title of her book um it was a, a oddly enough it was a a a training manual or or, a book focused at helping, um, administrative support people or office managers, whatever you want to call us. We answered all kinds of titles, um, to set up procedures for your office, to set up procedures for, um, every kind of scenario that you can imagine, whether, you know, you, you lose power in your building, you lose internet, you lose, uh, you know, there's a flood bloke pipe above your head. What what happens? And and so there was this process of how you kind of prepare for disaster as a, as a office leader. It was it was a great, it's still a publication. It's a great book.
0: Good. Thanks. <clears throat> Amy, do we have any other questions for
2: yeah? Um well uh let's have another one for Kamisha. Um I'm gonna draw it. Uh, so Frank would like to know why you moved to York, Maine. And I think I'll add to that question, is it soothing to be by the ocean <laughs> in these tar- dark times, to- difficult times? So uh,
4: we came up for a niece's wedding um, f- for uh, one of my husband's nieces. Um, and then after we came up, we actually stayed in uh, a gun for that. And then we start touring around. We start coming here every as many summers as we could. We we toured around Wells. We came up to York Beach, and uh, so that went on for many years, and uh, probably through our daughter's entire school career. And uh, she's graduated now, so they'll tell you how long. And we we knew we wanted to be here, and uh, it just so happened that uh, the. The opportunity presented itself for for my husband to be able to work for home before COVID, which was fantastic. And we wanted to be at the beach because that's where we both find a lot of joy in walking and in so sooth- very soothing. Absolutely, Amy. So so once we decided to get here, uh we were really grateful that we moved because we we really weren't supposed to initially move until June 2020. And we ended up moving in June 19, which is maybe like Gail's story, somebody was watching over us.
2: So we are actually out of time for questions. Um, So I'm gonna move on here. Um, If that's good with you. Ellen wanted to get
3: back, I think.
2: Say again? Ellen,
3: um, Tina wanted to get back on. Uh, Tina was upstairs, she's coming downstairs because I could get in. We lost our Wi Fi. I mean, yeah. never before, but Tita, come
2: on down. <laughs> we heard. We only have three minutes left, though. So right. we are moving hey, on. Hurry up. Because <laughs> I got some Sorry stuff that. to say. Sorry about that.
3: Oh, did. Okay. okay.
2: It's okay. So, folks, um, I need to give you all some information. Please hang in with us. Thank you again, all, for being with us tonight, which includes our incredibly brave first online storytellers, and all of you who joined us who didn't forget about us after all. (laughs) Please mark your calendars for a True Tales Live Zoom show on Tuesday, October 27th, and on Tuesday, November 24th, both from 7 to 8 p.m. at truetaleslivenh.org. You can find the links to register for those shows. We do need tellers for upcoming shows. We are especially encouraging attending our ongoing monthly workshops on Zoom. Those are from 7:30 to 9, coming up on October 6th, November 10th, and December 1st. Those are all Tuesday evenings. We want prospective pers- tellers not just to try out their stories, uh-huh. but to try out Zoom um and make sure you're you're okay doing it that way because it's a little bit of a different experience so be in touch with us at info at to tell us you're interested um, and find out more and the links to register for the workshops are also at truetaleslivenh.org let's give a few thank yous to just a couple of the folks really who make this show possible john lovering pat spaulding David Frainer, Sarah <laughs> Beddingfield, Yay. Sam Adams, Chad Cordner. I'm Amy Antonucci.